The Mother Movement would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Yorta Yorta and Darawal Nations, and pay our respects to Elders both past and present. Hello and welcome to The Mother Movement. This is a podcast by mums for mums, where we dive deep into the incredible world of motherhood. As mothers ourselves and passionate health professionals, we understand the unique challenges and joys that come with raising children. Each week, we'll bring you captivating discussions with experts in the field of motherhood. So, no matter where you find yourself on this beautiful, sometimes bumpy road, remember that you're never alone on this journey. Together, let's dive in and celebrate each other as we navigate the joys and challenges of motherhood. Hi, I'm Bray, and welcome back to The Mother Movement. In today's episode, we're joined by incredible midwife Siobhan Fonte. From knowing her path early on, Siobhan's commitment led her to becoming a founding member of the Calvary Birth Centre. Siobhan discusses this pathway, as well as her own unique pathway choosing to have a child as a single parent, including a memorable home birth. Siobhan is an absolute encyclopedia of birth knowledge. If you're planning a pregnancy or wanting more children, this episode will be invaluable. Here's Siobhan. Thank you so much for joining us, Javon. We can't wait to hear all about your journey and learn from your incredible expertise. Thank you for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family away from work? Yeah, sure. So I um, am from a really big family, actually. I've got three um, siblings, so two sisters and a brother and a, you know almost a dozen nieces and nephews now with another one on the way any day now. We're a really tight-knit family, but they all live uh, in Sydney, so about three hours away from me, and that was my fault. I decided to move away from, for uni and um, stayed away. Um, so in Canberra, it's just um, just me and my little guy, Lenny. Uh, so I am actually a solo mum. I chose to have baby alone after pretty terrible <laughs> relationship history. So I have a little 11-month-old um, called Lenny. It's so interesting. Would you mind um, going into a bit more detail about your support network? Yeah, of course. Um, So I always knew that I wanted to be a mum. That was, um, you know, one of the most important things uh, in the world to me all through my life. Um, And I did hope that my um, kind of journey, I guess, would lead me to love and a family would evolve from that. But it hasn't happened that way for me. And I felt like time was running out. I had done some fertility testing a few years ago and I knew that my... um, my egg count wasn't where it should be for my age. And I kind of had that in the back of my mind for the last few years. So I decided to go ahead and do it alone, knowing I did have amazing supports. So um, obviously I said I live away from my family, so I don't have family close by. Um, but they did come down in the days and weeks after Lenny was born to um, lend a hand. My mum stayed, both my sisters stayed, and I have an amazing brother and sister-in-law as well. Um, you know, really, really great family support. But in Canberra, I'm really, really fortunate to have incredible friends around me. So um, my midwife, who I'll talk about later on, I guess, is uh, also a really close friend of mine. And she has been just, you know, incredible for both Lenny and I. She's been our rock through the last year. Uh, got a, a, a big support system in Canberra, mostly midwives um, who I've met through uni and work, but, you know, a big range of people. So great that you've got such an incredible support network. And I absolutely take my hat off to you. Anyone, any single parents, I'm just, yeah, amazed at what you can do. It's incredible. And I'm sure that was a very challenging journey and a lot went into those decisions as well. And It was a lot harder to actually take the leap, I guess, than I had expected. Um, I had been thinking about this for years and had put it on the back burner a few times because, you know, um, kind of invested into new relationships that then didn't work out. 
Um, and then when it actually came time to do it, I had a lot of complex emotions that I wasn't expecting around whether this was a selfish decision to be making, whether, um, you know, knowingly bringing a baby into a, a single um, parent family was the right thing to do. Obviously, there are all sorts of families and it takes takes a village to raise a baby. I really believe that. But um, I, you know, had all these doubts come at me that I hadn't expected. Um, so I worked through all of those. And I do believe that my little guy has all the love in the world and that's all he needs. Absolutely. It sounds like like you're such an incredible mother and got such an incredible support system around you. So Lenny is very lucky by the sounds. <laughs> I'm very lucky. <laughs> Um, would you mind telling me a bit about your career and your work life as well? Yeah, of course. So um, I am a registered midwife. I uh, did the B Mid program, which means that I was a Bachelor of Midwifery student. I never did nursing first. So um, I did the three-year Bachelor of Midwifery degree, which is a really hands-on, um, very comprehensive degree. And when I came out of that, um, you kind of go straight into a new grad year where you get to work across all areas in a more supportive capacity. And then from there, my career kind of deviated a little bit faster than I had anticipated um, in the best possible ways. While I was a new grad, my hospital actually decided to open a birth centre and start a continuity of care model. And um, that has always been my passion. Even before I did mid, I knew that was where my um, direction would be. But I didn't expect it to happen so early in my career. And so I put my hand up for a, a role in that team, not expecting to get it at all. And I was really, really blessed to get a job in the um, continuity model straight out of my new grad year. So I've been working in um, that team, a, a small midwifery continuity team for almost a decade now. Um, and that has really solidified everything, I believe, around women-centered care and informed decision-making. Um, in and amongst that, I've done some extra studies. So I did a research honours degree in there as well, um, which was really fun, really challenging. And, um, you know, I've just attended a an ultrasound course. So being able, um, being able to expand my scope and hopefully offer um, third trimester ultrasounds and things like that. So trying to keep busy and, and just constantly growing my skill set. Sounds like busy is a bit of an understatement. <laughs> you are <laughs> a very experienced and what a wealth of knowledge as well. Yeah. Like That's incredible. Yeah. Um, would you mind telling us a bit more about the birth centre, um, the midwifery pathway and what that would look like for a woman who was pregnant and how they might enter that journey? Yeah, for sure. It's obviously dependent on the location where um, a woman is accessing services and also what services are available. You've got a couple of different options at most hospitals. Um, there is standard maternity care and a midwifery-led model, um, which is where you see a midwife in the clinic throughout your pregnancy. Um, if you have any risk factors identified, then you'll often see a doctor throughout that process as well. And it's kind of collaborative care between the doctors and midwives. You see a different midwife or doctor every appointment. And then when you come in to have your baby, you come into the birth suite generally, and it's whichever midwives are on shift, um, who are also once again working in collaboration with doctors. Um, the birth centre process is a little different, um, but I think it's pretty important to differentiate between what a birth centre is and what continuity of care is. So a birth centre is a physical space. Um, they can be in a hospital. They can stand alongside a hospital. So um, you've got a couple of different types of birth centres in themselves. They're usually purpose-built for um, to, to provide maternity services. They're usually a little, little bit different to a usual birthing suite in that their um, their rooms are bigger. They're not set up around medical equipment. So um, my birth centre, for example, has a big double bed in the centre of the room, um, kind of pushed to the side a little door, allow lots of space around. Um, they generally have a really big bath or birthing pool, um, private en suites, obviously, and lots of space to utilise natural 
pain relief options. So we really encourage movement and activity and use of you know yoga balls and standing and squatting and all different things like that. So the birth center spaces are designed to really facilitate that physiological process of labor and birth. Continuity of care is a little bit different in that that's the actual physical care that you're provided. So what continuity means is that um, a woman is paired with a midwife really, really early in her pregnancy, ideally. So often um, as early as kind of 12 to 14 weeks. And then they see that midwife from their very first midwifery appointment, which usually is undertaken somewhere between 12 and 16 weeks. And they see the same midwife throughout their entire pregnancy for all of their appointments. Um, the midwife is then on call for them for labour and birth and comes in to um, support them through labour and birth and then continues to see them postnatally as well. And that's usually um, in the home. But if they, for whatever reason, have to stay in the hospital, then that is also in the hospital. Um, they usually go hand in hand. Most continuity programs do have a birth centre, but that's not always the case. Yeah. Okay. That's super interesting. And thanks for elaborating as no well, because I guess it can get quite confusing. Yeah, it um, definitely can. There's so many other options outside of that as well. You know, um, women have a lot of different options around their maternity care. It's not just one pathway. Is there anywhere you would suggest um, for women to read into their options? Is there any resources? If, if you are somebody who is planning pregnancy and you know that you're pregnant are going to um, try to get pregnant, kind of having an idea of what you like, what you want, sorry, prior to pregnancy is really, really valuable. Um, a lot of models, particularly continuity models, are incredibly difficult to get into. And that's because there just aren't enough midwives and aren't enough birth centre places or continuity places to support all of the women that desire continuity. So knowing your options and um, knowing what your local hospitals offer prior to pregnancy is really valuable because the earlier you get in, the better. Um, for those that obviously find out they're pregnant a little bit later, the same, same pathways still apply. So most hospitals do have um, information on their actual websites on what services they offer. They're also amazing community groups. So you know, there's a group, for example, called Canberra Mums on Facebook, and there are posts there almost every day around what maternity services are, are available. And so seeking out information from other mums, uh, and particularly if you have somebody who you know in your life and you align with their philosophies around labour and birth, um, asking what pathways they went down, kind of that sort of thing is really valuable because it's not it's not actually easy to find information, I don't believe. That's so helpful. And I think everyone has such different ideas and visions around birth and also their experiences within their own lives impacts on how they might want to birth their baby so just having the access to the resources about all the different options of birth and what might yeah. best suit them it really comes down to knowing what you want what your beliefs are around labor and birth around um you know the antenatal care you're going to receive the postnatal care you're going to receive because those fundamentals actually dictate what the best model of care is for you um, and sadly that doesn't always align with what's available in your jurisdiction or in your area, um, and that is something that we really, really need to address uh, nationwide. It's a massive issue in maternity services, um, not enough options for women having their babies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of that kind of continuity postnatally, would you mind um, discussing how that might work with the midwifery program as well? What does that look like for a mother postnatally? Yeah, absolutely. So um, generally, most continuity models um, offer care for low-risk women. So there are lots of different models that offer care for women who have other risk factors and things like that. But for women who are having a, an uncomplicated low-risk um, pregnancy, we expect then the birth will be low-risk, uncomplicated as well. And almost always that is the case. In a, um, in a birth centre model, we do encourage a short length of stay. 
And so that is obviously dependent on how everything goes and how a woman's feeling, what time they give birth, like so many factors go into it. But we encourage early discharge and um, that can be as soon as four hours after birth for women who have had babies before and as soon as six hours after birth for women having their first baby. And then the follow-up that they get at home is really comprehensive. So your midwife, um, generally the midwife that you've had through your whole pregnancy, but sometimes one of her um, partners or team midwives will come and see you at home generally at least every day for the first uh, four, five, six days. In that time, um, your midwife is able to do all of the checks um, that you would have if you were to stay in hospital. So we still perform well baby assessments, heart checks. Um, we perform newborn screening tests and any monitoring that your baby might need in that time at home. We can also attend to all the same checks and cares for mothers, um, but in the in the comfort and privacy of your own home. And what we have found um, over obviously almost 10 years working in my particular birth centre is that the amount of time that we spend with a, a new family each day at home is actually more time in the one visit than most women who stay on the postnatal ward get in a full 24-hour period. And that's just because we can actually sit and really focus on what is happening with that family and go through um, everything that might be wearing them at the time, make sure that they're uh, well and healthy, that baby's doing all the things that they need to be doing and also provide education as needed. That's so, wonderful. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay. I was just going to say from there, um, we generally do kind of a skip day and then we see women again. So um, for women who have had babies before, if everything's uncomplicated, we, we only have capacity to see them till about seven or eight days. But for first-time mums, it's often um, 10 to 12 days. And that just um, kind of allows us to really make sure that they're through that early breastfeeding um, period, that if that's what they're choosing to do and that, that that is on the right path, um, make sure that babies are um, thriving and starting to put on weight as we expect and things like that. With that as well, do you find that most mothers who are going through that pathway, I guess, um, or birthing parents, I should say, you have had those discussions with them during pregnancy and they feel quite ready to leave when it comes to that early discharge like how do you find that's perceived from the women themselves yeah uh, we actually find that women and partners are generally very very happy about the early discharge they're really keen to go sometimes um you know they're beating us out the door before we've even finished our paperwork and conversely to what we've always heard about you know your your hospital stay being a break from older children I actually find the opposite I find that most women who have children at home are desperate to get home because they want to want to be with their little ones as well it's just so interesting hearing about all the different journey. I guess everyone's so different, but that sounds like something that women would really relate to as well, wanting to get home for their children. Interestingly, speaking of being at home, I, um, I'm aware you've had a home birth, so yeah. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. I had always assumed that I would, um, when I eventually had the, the privilege of having my own babies, I always assumed I'd give birth at the birth centre where I work. I love my place of work I love my colleagues I really um, I'm so proud of the care we give and so I just assumed that would be my pathway but as soon as I found out that I was pregnant it actually didn't feel right to me for a number of factors I felt like home was the safest place to be so there's kind of um, many complex um, thoughts and feelings that went into that one is having worked in the maternity services as I said I'm really proud of the work we do but our current system in Australia is not set up to support women well. You know, there are lots of different kind of opinions that guide practice as opposed to evidence-guiding practice. And that's a real challenge working as a midwife. But coming from a, a you know, a mother's perspective, I actually felt like the place where I was most likely to have the experience that I felt I needed and wanted and deserved was to be at home. 
Um, I'll just add as well, there were other factors for me personally that came into making that decision. So obviously, as I've mentioned, I'm a solo mum. So practically, I didn't want to have to worry about who would drive me to hospital or who would bring me home from hospital if I drove myself or um, how to manage the car seat, like silly things like that. Um, I didn't want to have to worry about who I would get to come and watch my dog. You know, I just wanted to focus on my experience and bringing my baby into the world. Um, So I sourced a private midwife who also happens to be an incredibly close friend and uh, a midwifery mentor of mine. Being a privately practicing endorsed midwife, uh, my midwife was able to do things like order all of the blood tests that I would need, refer me for the ultrasounds that I would need. Um, So anything that you would generally have in hospital is still available through a home birth program. That's so Mm. wonderful. Just on that, um, a private practicing endorsed midwife, like is that a term that people should look out for if they're looking at doing a home birth so that they can get those tests made available? Uh, Yeah, there's... Once again, this is really tricky and it depends on your area that you're in. There's a couple of different pathways to having a home birth. Um, Pathways in my area are very, very limited. So a lot of states and territories in Australia actually have both private and publicly funded home birth programs. Um, However, that's not always the case. And this is one of the big issues around women accessing care that is actually right for them is that 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 option isn't always available. Um, There is really, really comprehensive studies. Um, For example, a couple of years ago, we did the place of birth study here in Australia that looked at outcomes to over a million women over a 12-year period. And it showed that um, below-risk women having a baby at home was actually safer for women and equally as safe for babies. And so contrary to the media and, um, you know, often public opinion around home birth, it is is considered to be incredibly safe for most women, not for all. It's not the right choice um, for all women. If you have access to a publicly funded home birth program, um, then that is usually affiliated with a hospital. A private midwife um, sometimes is affiliated with the hospital. They usually have visiting rights. Sometimes they don't have visiting rights. And um, in that situation, you would actually book into the hospital that's closest to you. And if you had to transfer in, your midwife usually comes as a support as opposed to as your care provider. What advantages do you have? Um, and I guess we've gone through some of them, um, particularly with you. There was a, obviously quite a convenience factor yes. as well. Um, is there any other advantages you'd like to speak of in regards to uh, home birth and then any factors people should potentially consider if it's something they're weighing up? Is there things they should be a bit mindful of as well? Yeah, of course. So obviously for me, the first big thing was making sure that um, I felt physically safe to do that. So um, there are some some factors that I would personally not feel safe having a home birth myself. And obviously, um that's a really individual decision to make um, and something that you have to decide on with your midwife as well. So for me, for example, if I was having twins, I wouldn't have felt comfortable to have a home birth. But I know there are lots of home birth midwives that do feel comfortable comfortable to support women having twins. There's, in obviously um, publicly funded home birth programs, there are very, very specific criteria for um, risk factors that enable women to either join that program or not join that program. When you're going privately, then that's a a decision and a discussion that happens with a woman, uh, obviously her support people and and partner or families and the midwife. Um, Other factors to consider are distance to the hospital, um, support services around if you were needing to transfer or if something were to happen. Um, That's really, really important to know. I think it's also really important to have everybody on board so it's not the be all and end all. Um, and it was one thing I didn't really have to worry about. I was making this decision for myself. But um, we know that for women to really labour and, and birth 
I don't want to say well, well's a terrible term, but um, optimally, I guess, they need to feel as calm and relaxed in themselves as possible. So one of the benefits of home birth for most women, not for all, is that that is where they actually feel the safest, they feel the most secure. And we know that there's a really complex interplay of hormones when women are giving birth and we want to have low adrenaline, um, peak oxytocin, all natural endorphins kind of working in your system. And we know that for most women, when they actually transfer into a hospital, they often have a natural stall of their labor comparative to when they left home because they have a big spike of adrenaline and that slows things right down and they have to readjust and reacclimatize to their um, surroundings. And so staying home kind of negates that. If you feel safe and secure, then you're more likely to have a normal physiological birth. And we know that um, outcomes for women having a birth at home interventions are significantly reduced. So you're six times more likely to have an uncomplicated physiological birth at home than you are in a hospital setting. Um, and also birth center comparative to a birth suite, you're um, two to three times more likely to have a normal physiological uncomplicated um, birth than in a birth suite. Um, and when we're talking about uncomplicated, like um, just thinking from a physio point of view, yes. how do you find like tearing perineal tears and things like that in terms of your third, fourth degree? Um, what are they like in a birth center? Um, in the birth center, they're actually pretty comparable statistically to a birth suite. Episiotomy rates are lower, but third and fourth degree tears are um, pretty comparable. And also they um, have significantly higher satisfaction rates, which I think one of the most important things, and we don't um, don't talk about it enough, is that how a woman comes out of birth feeling is so, so important. Um, we've, we've talked for decades about healthy mum, healthy baby being the be all and end all. And of course, that is everyone's priority. We want to have a healthy mum. We want to have a healthy baby. But the latest data coming out um, is that one in three women are uh, reporting birth trauma. And so we really, really need to be addressing this from a whole community perspective. We need to be saying this isn't good enough. We need our women, um, our mothers coming out ready to parent, not having to heal their trauma from their experience. Absolutely. That's such a huge statistic. Yeah. It's a huge, yeah. I, I believe it. I absolutely mm. believe it. And yeah, it's something that we definitely need to address. Absolutely. Midwives really are the experts in normal. And when you're an expert in normal, you can identify when it's not normal. And that's when collaboration is most important. We need to all be working together because there are women that 100% need obstetric care. And there are women that need both. Um, and so we just need to have more pathways and more options so that everybody gets the appropriate care they need. In terms of the birth trauma as well, when we circle back to that, I guess a lot of it is about being heard for women. And um, in terms of, uh, I, don't, I don't want to say stopping birth trauma because ultimately there's going to be things that arise, but in terms of trying to reduce those numbers, I know that a lot of it comes down to um, the women actually feeling that they were heard and that their preferences and what they wanted was actually acknowledged um, as well is so important in addressing that. So I think having those options available to women where they can have their voice heard and um, having those continuity of care models and someone who's there for them to understand their preferences and what they need just will kind of hopefully go some way in helping those numbers as well. I think that's the most important thing, you know, really, really being active participant. Women should be the ones making the decisions around their care. They should be given the information to make those decisions, but nobody else should take that power from them. They should have complete choice in what happens to them and their baby. Um, but it's our role to make sure they, they are fully informed. And that's where I think we see a lot of um, slip off. And that's partly because, you know, health services are stretched. We are we were stretched before COVID. We're more stretched now post-COVID. It is 
a really, really stressful place to work. It is, you know, as I've said a hundred times, it's incredible. It is the most amazing, um, empowering, rewarding job in the world, but it is a very, very challenging um, place to work in, in, in any health service at the moment. But women really, really deserve that support. They need um, they need healthcare practitioners who are going to empower them to make those choices and feel like they are the ones leading their care. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I'm just going to circle back um, yes, to home birth. So yeah. pain relief is often something that women are quite mm-hmm. um, concerned about before they've had a baby and things like that. So what do you what did you find with a home birth and what kind of things can be offered um, for a home birth pathway, but also a birth centre yeah. pathway? What are the pain relief options for women? Well, I'll go through home birth first. In my specific case, in the area that I birthed in, um, unless I wanted to outlay money for uh, nitrous, which was about $1,000, um, then really there were no pharmacological pain relief options available to me. Panadol, not really helpful, but I could have Panadol. So for myself, that was actually totally okay. I knew that going in. I was really, really prepared and really passionate about having a physiological birth. Um, I had already booked into my local hospital as a precaution in case I needed to transfer for any reason. So I knew that if things got too much, I could transfer. And I'm fortunate that it was really close by, but I didn't think I need it. And it turns out I didn't. Um, So I had um, a range of tools that I prepared for myself or organized to have on hand, um, things like a TENS machine, which um, you would know as a physio. um, For those that don't, it's transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. So in a birth birth situation, we actually use little um, sticky pads that go on your lower back and they emit electrical nerve impulses. But um, they're really, really valuable pain relief, particularly in early labour. So I had a TENS machine. I had set up a birth pool, an inflatable birth pool in my living room. I also, crazy as it sounds, had a little wooden comb that I um, gripped in my in my, the palm of my hand and also sometimes just kind of, you know, rubbed on my leg or stroked on my belly because I like the, the different stimulation. So I had kind of a number of those sorts of things prepared. Um, but really with home birth, I think mindset is huge. So you go in knowing exactly what's on offer and what's not. You go in with a really set plan in mind. And if you have the benefit of a midwife such as I had who um, so invested and so involved in helping me prepare for labour and birth, Um, I didn't actually feel like I needed much on the day at all because I felt strong. I felt capable. I felt so much faith in my body. And that was obviously partly because of my uh, midwifery experience, but also because of the, the work I'd done with my midwife around that preparation and believing that I could do it. Feeling safe and secure, as I mentioned earlier, that hormone interplay, the more relaxed we are, the higher our natural endorphins are. And they're really, really amazing pain relief. So being in our own environment, having, um, you know, having the things around you that you that you want. Um, so I had visual cues around me that really soothed me. I'm a big um, music person. Music um, kind of is a soundtrack to everyone's life, but I use it for every kind of emotion in my life to, to help me um, manage those. And so I had a playlist set up and throughout contractions, may I myself and my midwife were actually singing and things like that. So there are, there are different natural ways to just feel really calm, really at peace, and that actually just um, really helps with natural pain relief. Do you want me to talk yeah. about the, the birth centre? That would be wonderful. Yeah. So um, nothing is off limits with the birth centre. That's really important for women to know because one of the factors that I think put people off coming through a birth centre model of care is that they think that they can't have pain relief. 
That's not the case at all. It's just that the birth center is more for women who are hoping not to have pain relief, who are actively planning for a physiological labor and birth. Um, but, you know, things happen. Um, labors, we, we can't predict how long labors are going to be. And sometimes exhaustion plays a factor. Sometimes position of babies plays a factor. Um, sometimes women are just taken aback and surprised despite um, kind of despite discussion. They're just surprised about how it feels. And so um, for some women, pain relief is absolutely the right um, thing for them. So in a birth centre setting, my birth centre is what I can speak to, but most are pretty aligned with this. We offer um, nitrous oxide, so gas and air, um, we offer morphine. We no longer use pethidine, but we offer morphine in my birth centre. We also, as I said, have lots of non-pharmacological pain relief options. Um, so baths, showers, yoga balls, massage. Like midwives are really, really great at massaging and hip holding and doing all those sorts of things to support women physically through labour. But we also do have um, epidurals available to women. In my birth centre, it doesn't happen in the birth centre itself. It has to be in birth suite. So we transfer physically around the corner from birth centre to birth suite but your midwife comes with you. And so um, that's definitely, definitely an option. We do see significantly reduced rates of pain relief um, uptake in women having birth center care and, and particularly women having continuity of care. Like I said, that distinguishing factor, continuity of care, um, having that no midwife and that preparation that you have antenatally with your midwife. Um, we only have about a 10% epidural rate in our birth center comparative to the hospital, which I can't even tell you the stats. I should have checked, but um, I think there are about 50 if you're over yeah that's so interesting to hear the different options for pain yeah. relief and I think that um, education is really crucial because um, you know as a society we see pain as bad pain is something that needs to be fixed and that's I'm not saying that's wrong that's you know probably really true in a lot of situations pain is often bad but in labor and birth pain is positive and that little comb I was talking about, it says on there, um, it's not pain it's power and I had never heard that until I was in um, I was pregnant myself but that has really struck a chord with me. It's not pain, it's power. I think that if we can flip the perception um, for women that this is actually a really positive sensation, yes, it's intense. Yes, it, it can be overwhelming at times, but it's actually your body doing exactly what your body is designed to do. It's not your body harming itself or trying to um, heal harm. It's actually your body doing its beautiful work. That's huge. And once we know that it's a positive, it's not as it's not as necessary to fix it. And so if, if women um, can start to flip their mindset in pregnancy, that is one of the main roles of a midwife is um, that work around mindset. That's really, really powerful. In terms of um, pain as well, we know now that the actual pathway and makeup of, of pain isn't just a physical physiological stimulus either. Like we know so much more about pain now that our environment, our previous experiences but there's so many things that actually contribute to the sensation we feel and it doesn't necessarily mean that there's damage or trauma or things that are actually occurring as well. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. I, I often get so, I guess it lights me up a little bit when I tell women, you'll see these kind of first-time pregnant women and they're coming into the clinic and I, if all honesty, I hated being pregnant. It, I don't enjoy it. I'm not a good pregnant person. I get sick and tired and I'm just not good with it. Like giving birth, I would give birth every day. I love it. I absolutely love birth. I, I've always in my practice said to women, um, you know, like I was talking about this culture of fear, we we just, we're so scared of childbirth, you know, for, for the vast, vast majority anyway, so scared of childbirth and think it's something we have to really manage. And that is definitely uh, made worse by the fact that as humans, we have to debrief when bad things happen. 
And so when you say one in three women have birth trauma, of course they need to unpack that with the people around them. And that's their friends, their sisters, you know, the, the people that are then going to have their own babies. And if that's all you're hearing, that is so terrifying. But then you've got a huge percentage of women that have these incredible births. And I've said my whole career, go out and shout your good stories. Tell everyone you know that's having babies how how fantastic that was. Or if it wasn't fantastic, tell them, you know, how strong you felt or share the positives. And it was really funny after I had my baby, I actually then felt guilty doing that <laughs> because I was just so enraptured with my experience that I felt like I didn't want to um, belittle anyone else's experiences if they were negative. So it gave me this really interesting perspective um, that I guess I hadn't really factored in. I was just like, yeah, go share those good stories. I'm still very much go share those good stories, but I think being a bit careful about how you do it is important, but please go do it. Were there any specific resources that you found particularly helpful during your own pregnancy and postnatal journey that you might like to share with our listeners? Yeah, sure. Um, there are quite a lot, actually. N- not many that were too new to me that once again a benefit of working in maternity services. Um, there are a number of midwives with public platforms that I follow um, and I utilize their work through my practice, but found them really, really useful as a, a, a woman as well as a, a person having a baby. Um, so there's a couple of midwives like Rachel Reed, Dr. Rachel Reed, Dr. Sarah Wickham, Dr. Hannah Darlin, um, really, really incredible midwives whose work is mostly in academia, actually, and not only undertaking research, but sharing research for for midwives and doctors, but also for women to access. And they all have really incredible Instagram pages, really incredible Facebook pages and websites. Um, my midwife was an invaluable resource. She um, she hates me when I say this, but I tell her all the time, she's the midwife I want to be when I grow up. And she just knows so much. She has incredible knowledge and um, experience. So I utilized, I, I utilized my midwife. I didn't know it all. I, I went to her for a lot of things. Post-birth's been a whole different thing because uh, as a midwife, you're considered to be an expert until about six weeks. And then after that, you're just, you're just like everybody else. So, um, you know, I've utilised lots of different um, services. So Instagram pages, a couple of really, really amazing midwives and sleep practitioners and things like that who I've utilised. So Lindsay Hookway is really, really great. That's, that's probably most of them. So we've already talked about it a little bit, but after your experiences, is there anything you will change in your own practice as a midwife? This is something I have given so much thought. Um, I think even before I had my baby, um, as I was undertaking antenatal care myself um, from a different perspective, I was constantly analysing my own practice and if if anything would change. Um, I'm I'm pretty happy, I think, to say that most things won't. Um, I have always really worked worked my ass off, worked really, really hard to provide um, evidence-based care to the women that I'm caring for. And I hope that they would agree that they have felt really informed and really in control of their own um, experiences. So I don't think from that respect, anything will change. Um, I kind of hinted at it earlier, but I've always been really, really proud of the work we do in the birth centre. I feel like part of our role as midwives is helping women navigate a system that nationwide isn't actually designed to support women in, in the best possible way. We can be doing it a lot better. Um, So I really value the work we do, but I have this burning fire in me now that is even stronger than before. Having had this experience that was just more than I ever imagined for myself, I have so much distress and so much um, hurt that not all women get to experience that. So I guess my challenge going forward is that um, I'm a, a 
um, clinical midwife, a hands-on midwife to my heart and soul, but I need to work out how to channel that so that I can hopefully make more difference to more families. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like yet, but um, that's kind of my passion going forward. You're such an experienced midwife and you've been through so much and so many practices that you'll just be an absolute asset to anyone um, that comes to see you. (laughs) I'm absolutely sure of it. It will be so (laughs) incredible. And I think those women are very lucky. Well, massive thank you for today. You are an absolute wealth of knowledge. And I think many birthing parents will absolutely learn so much expertise and really benefit from what you've been able to share with us today. So I can't thank you enough for being on our podcast. I really appreciate it. And I just hope that women will will look a bit further into what options are available to them and know that they don't just have to go with the status quo. There are lots of services out there for women. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. For a wealth of free resources, visit our website, themothermovement.com. And if you're seeking even more support and expert insights, join our postpartum package with more than 40 videos from health professionals and a supportive community of like-minded mothers. Together, we can navigate the postpartum journey with confidence. This is The Mother Movement. Mm